The following audio is from Lifehouse Church. We hope you are blessed by this message and encourage you to connect with us on social media or lifehousechurch.org. Hello, Lifehouse Church. How are you doing today? You doing good today? You look great today. Thank you all so much for being here. For those that are watching online and at every campus, uh, it's going to be a good day in church. Come on, anybody believe that it's going to be a good day in church? Hey, as, as your pastor said, uh, my name is Nate, and I come from just a few miles down the road in Richmond, Virginia, and so I'm excited to be here to share God's Word with you this weekend, and I, I must say before I move on, uh, I'm so thankful for your pastor, your lead pastor, Pastor Patrick, and for his leadership, and his love for Jesus, and his love for the church, and his love for this city, and his influence and friendship in my life, and so can we just put our hands together right now and honor your pastor? You're blessed. You're blessed. And uh, the, 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 the entire team here over the last se- several years, just getting to know them and spend time with them, I'll occasionally shoot up the road here and sit in their staff times. And uh, they've just invested into me. And so I'm so grateful for that and honored to be here this weekend. I've been tasked this weekend with kicking off the series for our city. And it's really not just a series, but it's a heartbeat and it's a movement of this church and of your pastor to say, hey, we're for our city. Like, we, we want our city to be better because we're here. We, we, we want our schools to be better because we're here. We want the families that live in our community to be better as a result of us being here. We're for our city. And so it's not just a sermon series that's going to be talked about, but, but, but there's action behind it. And there's already been things here just today, right, that have happened um, here in the city. And so uh, the passage of scripture that I'd like to look at tonight, and if you have your Bible or your smartphone, and, or if you don't, that's fine, we'll have it on the screen. But you can go to the book of Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 is where we're going to look to kick off the For Our City Series. This is an amazing chapter of scripture. Uh, Pastor John Piper refers to this chapter as the greatest chapter in all of the Bible. The greatest chapter in all of the Bible. It's a chapter where the Apostle Paul, he's the author, he, he lays out clearly the gospel of Jesus. He, he clearly lays it out and clearly lays out what it means to me and you as believers of Jesus. Here's what Romans chapter 8 says. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. And because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. The law of Moses was unable to save you because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like in, he sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us. Come on, this is good news, isn't it? By giving us his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the Spirit. Isn't that a beautiful passage of Scripture? Paul's telling us the good news of Jesus, and I'd like to kick off for us today the Forest City series by looking at this passage and encouraging us from God's Word. Are you with me today? I'm ready to go and fired up, so I hope you are too. And even if you're not, I'm going to be fired up anyway. Is that okay? (laughs) Hey, would you bow your heads? Let's pray and ask for God's help as we look at His Word. Father, we thank you for these moments that we share 
And God, I ask in these moments that you would do what I cannot do, and that is change our hearts. Lord, we, we, we ask that you would take your word and you'd speak right to us. Lord, I don't know everyone's name. I don't know everyone's story, but I know that you do. So tonight, today, would you take your word, speak to us in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, say amen. I love the idea of this series, For Our City. For Our City. You know, it's really easy. You don't have to try hard to look across our city here in the greater Hagerstown area for us in the greater Richmond area. It's not hard to look at our city and see needs, right? It's, 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 it's not hard to look at our city and see problems. It's easy to see problems. It's easy to point out problems. It's easy to talk about problems. It's easy to complain about problems. It's even kind of easy to pray about problems, isn't it? But, but it's a whole different thing to, to help problems, to, to, to say, hey, not, not, not just our city needs change, but I want to be the change. Not, not hey, th- things need to get better, but I'm here to make them better. Not God, God send help, God do something, but say, God, you've put me here to do something. God, you've placed me in this city. You've put me in this workplace. You've put me in this neighborhood to begin to make a difference. I'm for my city. And as followers of Jesus Christ, what I want you to know is we carry the greatest message of hope known to humanity. We we carry the light of the world. We carry the gospel of Jesus Christ. We carry the greatest message of hope that has ever been known to humanity. And because we have that message, our heart and our cry must be that message must go into every street and every space of our cities. Every, every space in our cities, we must take the message and the gospel of Jesus because ultimately it is, it is Jesus and the good news of Jesus that changes and transforms hearts and lives. And so we need as people to say, hey, I'm for my city and because I'm for my city, I'm going to take the message of Jesus to every space in my city because we want them to know Christ. We want them to be impacted by Christ. There's an amazing story in the book of Matthew chapter number eight, Jesus is, he preaches a sermon called the Sermon on the Mount, one of the greatest sermons ever preached by Jesus himself. He's preaching it up on the mountain, and right after he finishes preaching, Jesus comes down the mountain. And as he comes down the mountain, an interesting scenario begins to occur. In Matthew chapter eight, here's what happens. A man with leprosy came and he knelt before him, talking about Jesus, And he said, Lord, if you're willing, you can make me clean, okay? So Jesus, he finishes preaching, and and he's coming down the mountain. He's not even off the mountain yet, the scripture says, and a man with leprosy approaches. Now, to give us some context for where this passage of scripture is speaking, in that day and age, it, it, it was believed if you had leprosy, leprosy was a skin disease where you would have boils and rashes and scars all over your entire body. Your skin was just eaten alive by leprosy. If you had this disease, not only was it miserable physically, but it was also a death sentence socially. It it was the belief of that day that if you had leprosy, the reason you had it was because you messed up and you failed, and so this was God's punishment on your life. God was punishing you because of your mistakes. So not only physically did it hurt and you had to go through the discomfort, but everywhere you went, people would look at you and say, oh man, he blew it. He's, he totally messed up. He has totally failed. Not only did they think that of you, but society also isolated you. 
So if you had leprosy, you couldn't come home to your family. You couldn't hug your spouse. You couldn't kiss your kids goodnight. You, you, you couldn't go to the market on the weekend with everyone else and get food. You, you, were, you were stripped from society. You were taken out of society and quarantined. You, you, your, your social life was done. You were dead socially. This was what it meant to have leprosy. And the reason you were stripped away and the reason you couldn't interact with other people was because if you had this disease, you were considered unclean. You had a label, a stamp on your life, you're unclean. And if you came in contact with anyone that was healthy, that person now became unclean. So if you were to go into town, they had a law, they had a rule. If you were to go around people, you had to shout that you were there by saying, unclean, 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 as a warning to anyone around you that if you touched them or got near them, they would now be unclean. So now knowing that, Jesus is coming down the mountain, and this guy with leprosy comes right up to him. So everyone that was with Jesus immediately would have taken a step back, immediately would have said, whoa, what's going on? And he he does not declare himself unclean. The guy just comes right up to Jesus, and he's desperate. Can you imagine his life? He hasn't seen his family. He hasn't been with people. He's been isolated. And he's like, Jesus, Jesus, if you can make me well. He's desperate. And what happens next is amazing, it says Jesus reached out his hand. Now if we can just stop here. Everyone that was with Jesus, remember they, they, they know this about people with leprosy. The guy runs up to Jesus and Jesus begins to reach out his hand and everyone there watching would have no doubt held their breath. We said, whoa, whoa you, you can't touch a guy with leprosy because if you do, you're unclean now. They would have all held their breath and gasped at the fact that Jesus was reaching towards this sick, unclean man. But notice what happens. He touched him, and he said, I am willing, be clean, and immediately he was cleansed of leprosy. So, so look, every single time unclean met clean, unclean won every time. If you were sick and you touched healthy, that person became sick. Until Matthew chapter 8 where Jesus comes down the mountain, and for the first time ever in history, clean touched unclean, and that unclean became clean. For for the first time ever, clean and unclean squared off, and clean won. What, What Jesus was declaring right at the beginning of his ministry is there is a new order to things now. There is a new power that you've never seen before. I am the son of God, I am the Messiah, and I'm bringing a greater power than you have ever seen that anyone else has to offer. There is now a greater way. There's a greater way. Jesus was declaring that I now am greater than sin. I now am greater than death. I am now greater than anything you're going to face. Jesus declared, I'm greater. I'm greater. And as followers of Jesus, this is the posture we must have in regards to the needs in our city. The needs in our city and the needs around us should not cause us to cower down, but they should cause us to rise up and say, our God is greater than the need. Our our God is greater than what people are up against. Yes, there are problems. It doesn't take us long to turn on the news or talk to some people and, and, and see there are needs all around us and the needs are massive and this guy doesn't have all the answers, but what I do know is there is a God that's greater than the need. 
That there's a God that's greater than the problem. And Jesus declared in Matthew chapter 8 that I, that I am now greater. And he has given us the same authority and power as followers of Jesus to take the message and hope, the greater message to our city that Jesus is king. Jesus is greater. And so we've been tasked with taking this message, taking this hope into every space and every area of our city. But I think if we're honest, I know if I'm honest, I think a lot of times we don't always do this. I think in, in theory we, we, we like the idea of it, but this doesn't always happen. And I think one of the major reasons why this doesn't happen in my life and your life, and for a while tonight this is where we're going to camp out, is this idea of regret. Is regret. I think a lot of us live with this idea of regret. Maybe it's with you personally. That there's some things in your life, there's some things you've done, there's some things that you've been through that, that you just quite frankly regret. And the idea of taking hope to someone else and helping someone else, you're thinking, how can I help someone else when I need help? How can I bring hope to someone else when I've failed? How, how, can, I give, how can I give someone else some encouragement when, when I, I've got all this stuff going on? I, there's things I've done, there's mistakes I've made. I, I can't help someone when I need help. Or it could have been regret from the sense of, man, you've had opportunities before to serve people and to love people and take the hope of Jesus to people, and quite frankly, we've missed opportunities. I know in my life, there's opportunities, I've missed them. I've stepped up to the plate and I've struck out. And maybe our mindset sometimes, we, we regret, oh my gosh, I've, I've missed this opportunity and missed this opportunity and missed this opportunity. And maybe our mindset now has been so full of regret that we've just missed so many opportunities. We say, what, what, why start now? What, what, why start now? Filled with regret about maybe things you've done or opportunities you've missed. But tonight, today, my encouragement to you is this. Because of Jesus, we can live and serve with no regrets. Because of Jesus, we can live, we can serve with no regrets. And I'd like to answer the question, how is that true? Why is that? In the book of Romans chapter 8, I think, gives us an answer to how, how can we serve, how can we love, how can we carry hope to our city, how can we live a life of no regrets? Romans chapter 8 gives us some insight to this. In the first verse, it says this. So now there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. I don't know about you. This is one of my favorite verses. I love this verse so much. There's no condemnation for those who belong to Christ. Almost throughout the whole New Testament, one of the most commonly used phrases to refer to the life of a believer is not even believer. It's not even disciple. It's not saved. But it's someone that is in Christ. In Christ. If you're a follower of Jesus, all throughout the New Testament, you're referred to as someone that is in Christ. Would you look at your neighbor and say, in Christ? Come on, for those at other campuses, look at your neighbor and say, in Christ. In Christ. It's this idea that once you say yes to Jesus, that you are now hidden in him. So what, what happened because of the cross, the good news of Jesus is this. On the cross, Jesus took our sin our mistakes, our failures, our shortcomings, and he died and rose again and defeated them. Come on, can somebody give God some praise for that? So he, he took our sin, he took our mistakes, and the perfection that was needed to be right with God, Jesus lived out. So G Jesus came here, and he lived the life we couldn't live. 
He lived the perfection that we could never hit, and he died the death we deserve to die. And so because of the cross of Jesus, the Bible refers to us as in Christ. So here's what that means. If you have put your faith in Jesus, when God looks at you, he doesn't see you. He sees Jesus. So when, when, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your mistakes. He sees the perfection of Jesus. When, when God looks at you, he doesn't see your shortcomings. He sees the perfection of Jesus in your place. Come on, this is the good news of Jesus, that Jesus took our place, and his righteousness, his perfection has been given to us, not because we have earned it, but because it's a gift from God. And so what Paul says in Romans chapter 8 is, hey, if you are in Christ, if you belong to Christ, there's no condemnation on you. Not because you don't deserve condemnation, but because Jesus took it for you. And because now God no longer condemns Jesus, we are no longer condemned because we are in him. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And here's how I think we read this a lot of times. In Christ, there is less condemnation. Because of Jesus, my situation with God has gotten a little bit better. No, no, no. He says there's no condemnation. Because of Jesus, your situation with God has not improved. It has been transformed. It has not improved. It has been transformed. God doesn't look at you a little bit more favorably because of your faith in Jesus. No, no, no. He looks at you as he looks at Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. And so because of this, you can live with no regrets because in Christ, you are free from the guilt of sin. The guilt of sin has been taken away because of what Christ has done. In Christ, if you are in him, the guilt of sin, the stain of sin, the sting of sin is now gone because of the good news of Jesus. We can live with no regrets. Paul continues after verse number one. He goes to verse number two. He says this. He says, and because you belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. And go to the next verse. The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature, so God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sin. In verse number two and verse number three, Paul is, he's building an argument almost, and I love this. He, he, he lists out a few different types of laws. The very first one that he lists is Moses' law. Moses' law, what Paul's referring to in the book of Romans, is the Old Testament law. The Old Testament law was given to the people of God in the Old Testament as the standard as to which they must live and how they must be right with God. If you are going to be perfectly right with God, you must obey all these laws, the Old Testament law. And the law was unbelievable. It, it, it was unbelievable. It was, it, was, it was everything. And the law was impossible. No one could obey it. Everyone was given it. Everyone knew it. The law told them what was right, but, but no one could do it. We could say it like this. We could put up the next one. Moses' law, it has right, but not might. In other words, 
Come on, parents, you know what I'm talking about. You can tell someone what to do, but you can't make them want to do it. <laughs> Come on, you can tell somebody what to do, but that doesn't mean they want to do it. This was Moses' law. This was the Old Testament law. It said, here's the standard by which you must live. Here's the laws which you must obey. This is what you must do. And what that did was it showed them the right way. But the problem with it was no one wanted to do it. No one could do it. It was impossible. In fact, the scriptures tell us the law wasn't even given so that people would be right with God. It was just, it was given to expose them to the fact that they needed help. (laughs) They needed saving. The second law that we see in these verses is sin's law, it's sin's nature. And sin's nature has might, but is not right. Our sin nature, we, 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 we want to do things. Look, you don't have to teach kids how to do some things. You don't have to teach them how to be selfish. Come on, somebody. <laughs> you, there's certain things you don't have to teach them, but the problem with those things is they're not right. <laughs> They're not God-honoring. They're not according to God's word and God's law. And so our sin nature has might. It has want to behind it, but it's not right. And so you see the problem here. The Old Testament law tells us what we want to do, but we don't want to do it. In sin's nature, we want to do it, but it's not right. And here's where Romans gives us the solution to the problem. He's saying, hey, you couldn't obey the law. You tried to obey the law, but you have this sinful nature that always wanted to do the wrong thing and couldn't obey the law. And so instead of you obeying it, God sent his son in the form of a man to perfectly obey it. And now because of his spirit, now the power of sin is gone in your life. So here's what the power and the law of the spirit is. The law of the spirit is this. It has both right and might. So so because of what Jesus has done and because of the Holy Spirit now in us, here's what God can help us do. God can show us the right way to go and the right way to live and the right things to do and the Holy Spirit can help us want to do it. The Holy Spirit doesn't doesn't just show us the way, but it says, I'm going to empower you and help you and equip you and transform your heart and transform your mind. So not only will you know what to do, but I'll help you want to do the right thing. This This is the power of God. This is the good news of the gospel that we've got a new spirit. We've got we've got a new life because of Jesus. And so here's here's my point from these few scriptures. You can live with no regrets because in Christ you are free from the power of sin. So in verse one, we learn you're free from the guilt of sin, but we've also learned you're free from the power of it now because the Holy Spirit lives in you and he can equip you and empower you to now do what God has called you to do. And we can live with no regrets because the guilt of sin is gone because of Jesus. We can live with no regrets. We can move forward. We can rise up. We can, we can move on because the power of sin is gone. We don't have to obey our sin nature anymore. We have the spirit of God in us to help us walk this thing out. You can live with no regrets because the guilt of sin is gone and the power of sin is, is gone. Verse number four, Paul goes on to say, said he did this. So the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Isn't that so good? We don't have to follow the sinful nature 
anymore. We follow the Spirit because Jesus fulfilled the law for us. The third thing, we can live with no regrets because we're free from the guilt of sin. We're free from the power of sin. And the third thing is this. We can live with no regrets because Jesus has overcome. Because Jesus has overcome. Because Jesus came, he lived a life we couldn't live. He died a death we deserve to die. Sin no longer has its power. He rose again, and he has overcome. And because he's overcome, we are overcomers. Because he's overcome, we don't have to walk around with our head down. We can get our head up. Because he's overcomers, we can, we can, we can take this hope into every crevice and every space of our cities. Because he's overcome, we can walk forward with confidence, with our heads held high, not in ourselves and pounding our own chest, but in the goodness of God. Because he's overcome, we can be overcomers and we can change our city. Look, the good news of the gospel, I'm gonna ask the keys to come back up and help me finish. The good news of the gospel, it frees you up to live on mission. Right? You're free from the guilt of sin, from the stain of sin. It frees you up. Because of the gospel, you're free to go. You are free to serve. You're free to love. You're free to sacrifice. You're free to take the message of Jesus to our city. And also because of Jesus, you, we're not only freed to serve, but we're motivated to serve. Look, because of, because of this, we're not only freed up, but we're also motivated. Look, if God has saved me, I want God to save them. If God has forgiven me, I want God to forgive them. If God has done a work in my heart, I want God to do a work in their heart. If, if God has healed me, I want God to heal them. If God has given me peace, I want God to give them peace. The gospel frees you to go, but it also motivates you. It also puts a passion and a fire behind you to say, if God did it for me, I want God to do it for them. The gospel's motivating. I was thinking of it like this. A few years back, we got a new indoor trampoline park in our city. I don't know if you've ever been to one of those or seen one of those or heard of it. It's just a giant warehouse with all these trampolines and crazy, like it's just a big kids area and I went, even though it's a kids area, I was there. They have a little basketball section set up where you can go jump on the trampoline and dunk and this white boy loved that. First time in my life. <laughs> I remember the first time I went, me and my brother, we went over, they had a section of the trampoline park called the foam pit. It's a platform almost like this where at the end of the platform, there's a trampoline. And how it worked, you got in line and you ran and you jumped on the trampoline and you launched yourself off of the platform into a giant pit full of foam blocks. So kids are just going crazy, right? Just flipping and diving, seeing how far you can jump, doing whatever. I, I remember going with my brother and he jumped in first and he was struggling to get out so much and I'm sitting up here like laughing at him. And then I jump in and I realize like, wow, it's hard to get out of there. You know, like you're trying to push yourself up, but it keeps swallowing you down and stuff. And, and so we got back in line. And I remember there was this little kid. He had to have been seven or eight years old. He was in front of us. The kid runs up, you know, jumps, boom. It's funny, when he jumps in, like he just disappears. The pit swallowed him. You know, he's like, wow. Everybody's kind of like, hello? You know? 
After like five or 10 seconds, you see him pop up, you know, above the, above the foam cubes. You see his hands and stuff. And he's like, hi. And he's looking at his dad is over here, you know, waving at him. And he's like, hi. And then he gets swallowed again. This happens like multiple times. You see like hands pop up. You see his head. It's like, it's kind of funny. It's kind of cute. Like for 30 seconds. After like a minute, I was annoyed. Because until he gets out, we're just standing here waiting to go, right? So the whole line is sitting there, sitting there, sitting there. And literally it's, you know, his dad is over at the edge now. Like, hey, c- come on, come on, buddy. Come on, there's a line. C- come on, come on, there's a, there's a line. Come. We're sitting here, we're sitting here. It's been a minute. It's been 90 seconds. It's been two minutes. Finally, it was decided he ain't getting out. The dude is stuck. So, so the employee from the trampoline park that's in charge of the station, comes over, jumps down into the foam pit, pushes through the foam, digs this kid out. I know, I'm, I'm, do not exaggerate to you. Puts the kid up on his shoulders, turns around, brings the kid back, puts him back on the platform. The whole time I'm sitting there watching this whole thing go down, and I'm thinking to myself, this, this is the gospel right here. The good news of Jesus is not that God stands up on the platform and encourages you to get out. No, no, no. The good news of the gospel is not even that God stands here and he tosses you a rope to assist you getting out. No, no, no. The good news of the gospel is we are stuck. We are dead in our sin. You know what a dead person can do for themselves? Nothing. But in his grace and in his love, God came down, picked us up, and he set our feet on the rock. He did for us what we cannot do for ourselves. And because of this, look, because of this, we're free from the guilt of sin. We are free from the power of sin. We're motivated by the gospel. Because he lifted me out, I want my city to be lifted out. Because he forgave me, I want my neighborhood to be forgiven. Because he loved me, I want the streets of my city to know the love of God that changed my life. Because he did it for me, I want him to do it for them. This is our heart. This is our cry. Not that God would just do a work in us, but that we would say, God, help us to take it to our city. May we not be known as the church what we're against, but may we be known what we're for. We are for our city, that they may know God. They may have an overabundant life that is only found in Christ. Do you believe that today? Just stand to your feet all over the room with me. I'd like to pray for you. Just in a moment of focus and concentration, if you could bow your head and close your eyes. Maybe you're in here today and you walked in here far from God. You're aware of the fact that you're a sinner and that you cannot be the forgiver of your own sins and you cannot be the leader of your own life and you need Jesus to do that for you today. The good news is Jesus came 2,000 years ago. He lived the life you couldn't live and died the death you deserve to die that if you would trust him, you could be saved. Maybe if that's you today, you need to make that decision right now. Just give your heart to Jesus. Just tell Jesus that you need to be saved. For all of us in here, I'd like to pray a final prayer over us as a church and as a movement, as you are for your city, that God would use you to make a difference in this city. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters today. God, I thank you for the work you've done in our lives. 
Thank you for the good news of Jesus. Father, I ask today that your church would rise up, that we would not be a church that's on the defense that is passive, but Lord, would we be a church that's on the offense? We'll be a church that, that rises up, that moves forward and takes this gospel and good news to every space of our city. And God, may our cities never be the same because of it, God. May our cities, may our schools, may our homes, may our neighborhoods, may our workspaces be transformed because of the gospel of Jesus going forth through your church. Lord, we pray that today in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. And if you believe it, would you say amen, 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 amen. Thank you for listening to audio from LifeHouse Church. We believe that through Christ, life change happens here. So we invite you to connect with us further by visiting lifehousechurch.org.